Hello and uh, welcome everyone uh, today to our royalty panel. We're joined today by uh, Brendan Urich uh, of Electric Royalties, uh, also Cesar Gonzalez of Selfish Royalty and Frederick Bell of Elemental Royalties. Hello, gentlemen. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Could you, before we kind of launch into some of the topics we're going to cover off today, can you give us a sort of 30 second introduction? Um, maybe start with you, Cesar. Sure. Thanks for having me, Matt. You know, it's been a while since I've done one of these. So Cesar Gonzalez, the CEO and co-founder of Sailfish Royalty Corp. Sailfish is a precious metals streaming and royalty company with assets in the Americas, Mexico, Nicaragua, and Nevada. So Frederick Bell, CEO of Elemental Royalties. I think the key point to take away from us is 80% of our portfolio is producing royalties and it's precious metals focused 95% plus. I'm Brendan Urich. I'm the uh, CEO of Electric Royalties. We're a royalty company uh, really focused on those metals uh, required for the uh, transition to clean energy. And we've got a portfolio of 19 royalties to date. Um, we've got cash flow uh, and we've got exposure to all of the uh, clean energy metals. Well, thanks. Thanks very much, guys, for introducing yourself. Um, I just wanted to have a little session um, trying to educate uh, some of the newcomers into uh, mining and its broadest context um, and, and help them understand certain aspects of it. Royalties is um, a, a, a new one for, for most of them. Look, the markets are doing some funny things at the moment. Um, and it sort of made me think, you know, in strong markets, uh, like we had in 2020, 2021, uh, investors feel invincible. It's hard to make bad decisions when momentum is with you. But when markets do what they're doing and have, have been doing for the last three, four weeks, um, there are troughs. It's, you know, shudders to potentially it's shuddering to stop in the face of economic uncertainty. Uh, people are getting nervous. Are you? Cesar, why don't we start with you? I'm a generally nervous guy, so that's a <laughs> loaded question, Matt. But with regards to sailfish, uh, not so much. We have no debt. We're cash flowing. We have uh, a dividend that we're paying, which is almost 5%. I'm one of the larger shareholders in the company, along with um, the other co-founder, Akiba Leesman, and uh, our financial backer, Wexford Capital. So um, you know, we, we're in a pretty good position. Um, you know, we have this also uh, upside in a royalty that is not paying. In fact, it's in the hands of a private equity fund, which has put out very little information on it. And um, but they have been active sellers thanks to the gold price. You know, they're they're hitting bids out there, and I'm just waiting for the day that they hit the bid on uh, Spring Valley, this large deposit that we have a three percent NSR on in Nevada, one of the largest undeveloped gold deposits in all of the United States of America. So you know, we've got the cash flow. We're paying a dividend. We've got no debt very little expenses. And then we're waiting for this event that can um, really get our valuation higher once once Spring Valley is in the hands of an actual company, an operator. But uh, but I'm, what I'm interested in, and maybe Fred, you can pick this one up, is um, the fact that, you know, people are just nervous about the you know, economic circumstance of the, of the moment. They're hoarding cash. They're not putting money into junior equities, into explorers um, or, and developers. Um, they're, they're not sure how to behave. And this, what I'm trying to get at is, do companies, do CEOs, do CEOs of royalty companies have to be agile and adapt? Or can they? do they have a longer-term strategy in mind which they have to stick to by, by dint of the, the, the business model? I actually think most people would characterize the royalty sector as, as having very good defensive qualities in the downturn. Um, and if you look at most royalties, they, they tend to be royalties on top line revenue. So if your miner is producing $100 worth of gold, um, they have a 20% margin and get $20. And if that gold price goes down by $20, they're not getting any margin. 
you know, the royalty company, if you're getting top line revenue, um, you're getting 1% of that, say, um, you know, if the gold price goes down by, by 20%, it doesn't impact you as much. And so I think royalty companies tend to outperform in the downturns. And, you know, at the same time, royalty companies tend to load up in terms of buying into assets, new opportunities, new royalties in those downturns because they can continue to deploy capital because they tend to have you know, good cash flow margins. And I think Pierre Lasson said, you know, starting a royalty company, you, you really want to have cash flow there um, as, as one of the founders of Franco Nevada. And I think, you know, the way we have approached it at Elemental has always been start with the foundation of cash flow, diversified cash flow and revenue. And if you look at us since we started in 2017 as a private company, we've increased our revenue year on year, I think almost a, a 90% compound growth rate on the revenue side. This year will be another record for us. I think um, 10 to 12 million US revenue is our guidance um, based on $1,800 gold. So from that perspective, um, yes, always cognizant of the market conditions, sector conditions. Um, but if we are generating cash flow um, and if we have instruments that are defensive and tied to commodity prices and, and can be an inflation hedge, then I think actually a royalty company is a really good way to play the market, even in cyclical downturns. Okay. And, and Brian, I'm going to bring you in here. So Fred said yeah. uh, royalties tend to outperform equities in, in the long run, right? In a, in a downturn, right? But they're not. You guys have all suffered over the last four weeks, just as equities have. The market uncertainties are there. So people aren't thinking like that. Where are they rushing off? Are they rushing off to crypto or Bitcoin? Are they hoarding cash? And and if they are, what would you say to those people? Do you agree with what Fred's saying? You guys tend to outperform, so you should think of us slightly differently. Um, then you yeah, well, do. you know, I think wealthy family offices have been uh, using royalties as a means of storing value uh, for a very long time. Um, you know, at the end of the day, royalties are basically rights to cash flows from uh, very, very rare metal deposits, you know, around the world. And so, you know, those metals are going up. It's definitely an inflationary hedge, um, you know, for our kind of respect. Lithium prices were up 400% last year, you know, and so that means that the revenues we'd expect back on those royalties are up 400%. Um, you know, year over year. So in an inflationary environment, there's definitely, I think, a, a defensive nature. Um, you know, I like Fred's point, though, about our operating costs, right? <laughs> you know, they're pretty, basically zero dollars. Uh, and so we're going to be the lowest cost producers out there. Um, we're never going to be in trouble for uh, debt or, uh, you know, going under. All those costs are borne by the operators of those assets. You know, last year we had over $150 million raised. A lot of that's going into the ground, developing our assets, and that costs us nothing. And so, you know, when you add in the fact it costs us nothing to hold these royalties, um, you know, there's a lot of accretive growth uh, that goes on uh, for a royalty company as they as they move forward. It, it, it's true. It's a, what you I mean. What you say is true. I mean, um, Cesar, if 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 you agree with Brandon, you know, the company needs to bear the cost. But you're out of control, though, in, in that sense. You're waiting for the company to do the right things before we can, you know, capture that revenue, aren't you? So, so I'm just, I guess the question I'm saying, you know, you're kind of fully committed um, when you've made the decision about which royalties um, you're, you're going to commit to, right? Which companies you're going to commit to, which management teams you're going to commit to, because they've got to get it right before you can benefit benefit from that. Matt, actually, I wanted to follow up on a point that Fred made, which. When you asked the question, I wasn't really thinking uh, about this the whole way through, but you made a very good point in that the equity market is crap right now for gold mining companies and resource companies. Um, you know, a little different for oil and gas, but uh, in mining, 
that is actually an environment where royalties become more attractive to them to finance their projects, uh, to advance their companies. And so it should be an environment where royalty companies can get deals done. And you've seen that, especially some of the larger companies with these big financing packages that they put together, where they, it's, it's very comprehensive, right? They do a royalty, they do mezzanine financing, but they may even take some equity. Um, so it's right now is an opportune time for guys like us to roll up our sleeves and, and find something to do. It is, but come back to my question, which is, it isn't the fact that you guys have got to be positive about you know your story because you're more fully committed than say a fund or institution who comes invest in something. When something goes wrong for them, they can just sell out and may sell at a loss, but they, they can get out pretty quick. You guys are in it for the long haul. Doesn't isn't that doesn't that kind of reduce the appeal for royalty companies? Well, it could be an opportunity to restructure and get something fa- more favorable. You know, I've seen that happen. I've actually been a part of that. I'm sure everyone on this call has where the operator comes back and says, hey, this isn't working out, but can we do this? And you get more later to get less now or get exposure to something you didn't have exposure to before. So it creates opportunities. What do you think, Fred? I, I, I think that, look, one of the, you know, if you're talking about getting exposure to opportunities, one of the great things about a royalty company is more is better. And sometimes you don't say that with miners. Sometimes you say, guys, you know, focus on this one asset, develop it. And we were talking to people here in London today, and um, one of them was in, in the mining industry, and they were talking about a, a recent operator, and it's a, it's a new operator. And they said, look, as investors, our preference is for that operator to actually not go into any other mines, because those mines might have a 10-year horizon, and it might take them 10 years of exploration, and then it might not work. And so they said, we almost prefer that they don't do that. Whereas for a royalty company, people actually want increased exposure, optionality, and diversification for some of the reasons that Brendan touched on, are that you're not contributing capex to them. You're not contributing ongoing costs. And so if you can go out there and you can identify good opportunities, and particularly in a rising commodity price environment, um, projects that maybe have been sitting around for two or three years and that are being advanced, um, and are becoming, you know, economics are improving. That's actually a really good place to be as a royalty company. And, and it's one of the key benefits. It's one of the reasons set up Elemental is because I had worked in a junior company and I had seen how difficult it was and particularly in bad environments and what the market was. And I thought, hey, you know, actually sometimes I wouldn't, I'd like all my eggs not to be in one basket. Um, and I would quite like to have optionality and exposure to two, three, four, five, and we're at 10 assets now, majority of them producing. And that's a great way. And I think that's what right. people come Right. To. I think we uh, we got into the royalty game the same way, <laughs> you know, yeah. after seeing how risky it is. You know, mining is a risky game. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. It is an average 15-year development timeline. So diversification, that's got to be one of the big uh, benefits, you know. Um, like Fred said, you know, they've got uh, more than a dozen royalties. Um, you know, we've got 19 royalties. I'm sure Caesar's got a pretty good portfolio, but that means that, you know, none of our, uh, you know, none of our assets are, are worth is really based on one asset. And one asset can always go wrong. You know, it doesn't really matter. Uh, you, you could have the perfect team. It could be the perfect place. Uh, you just never know for sure. So diversification being a really big one. I was sort of interested. We've interviewed a couple of um, CEOs recently who basically changed their um, their economic studies 
to get them into production sooner because they're nervous about inflationary uh, effects in the marketplace um, and the ability to raise capital, um, you know, when when they need to. So I think it's so interesting that some of the companies are thinking about, well, how do we get into into revenue sooner? I mean, are, are you seeing that, Cesar? I mean, you're, you're, you guys look in the market all the time at, at deals. So um, are those the sorts of conversations that you're aware of? Oh, yeah. In fact, Fonterra, where I'm the chairman, is doing just that. We are doing a PEA on an open pit that has measured ounces, which can, can be converted to reserves to get something going. We have a mill that's operational. There's an expansion plan, but we brought in a new CEO who was the COO of a very successful intermediate company and put two mines into production there. So we want to get ahead of this as fast as possible. Just get it going, start small, bootstrap. Um, so yes, absolutely. Okay. It, 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 well, Fred, any, any thoughts on that? Are you seeing the same sorts of conversations? Yeah, I think it was actually some really interesting market commentary in the last week from some of the analysts in the industry. Um, and they were saying that they're actually starting to recommend clients to move into the royalty space. And the reason for that is cost, ex cost escalation. Um, and there have been some pretty big um, sort of name projects that had a billion dollar capex a year ago. They're now six months, sorry, 12 months in. And they're saying, okay, we've got 20, 30% creep here. Now, you know, if you're an equity holder there, that's 200, $300 million more that you need to come up with in impacts or economics. If you're a royalty holder there, maybe that's a delay. Maybe it takes them an extra two months financing, but there's no cost contribution. So actually in an inflationary environment where you are on the top line as a gross or, you know, net sales royalty holder, that is a, a really good place to be in. Go back to the last cycle, go back to 2003 to 2007. And, um, you know, a lot of commodities increased in price and people didn't see a corresponding increase in returns by some of the miners. And I was in, um, you know, I worked a bit in Australia um, when I was younger and I remember seeing the wages in Australia. And uh, it got to the point where someone I knew who was a geologist in Sydney, fresh out of university, was being flown every two weeks business class to Perth to work. And then the company was flying for her to go back every two weeks. And the week in between, they were flying her boyfriend to Perth to see her. And the costs, you know, she was, it was the best job she probably got in the last eight years because you just had to pay people more and more. So what happens is inflation in costs eroded all the increase in commodity prices so that investors didn't see the same returns that they could, that they would have expected. And that's where a royalty company is great. And that's where you go back over time and go back through history and you look at some of the old royalties written at $300 gold. And, you know, those companies did economic studies and ignored the deposit at one gram because everyone said it's irrelevant and it will never come in. And 20 years later, you know, it's a much bigger mine. It's mining that and they've never had to put another dollar in. So I think multiple reasons there, but I think um, royalty is actually almost at its best in the kind of environment you're in today, where commodity prices are rising, but inflation is eating away a lot of that gain. I mean, yeah, interesting times. And, and I think there's, well, there's, I guess, another whole conversation around the, 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 the co costs are not just rising inflationary you know, to everyday homes, but for, for mining operations, the cost of staff and equipment and delays, and I, therefore the cost of capital, it, it, it's, all, it's all adding up. But um, does that mean, so it comes back to, a little bit to an earlier question I asked about um, where 
do do you think of your the structure of your portfolio differently as a result of this this current environment in terms of you know you, Fred you've mentioned we we you wanted to lean towards the revenue generated generating assets quickly um, but in terms of that balance between revenue development and expiration in 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 the portfolio and I'm and I'm hoping that there's something that you know normal investors can get out of this so how has your thinking changed uh, Brandon uh, yeah well you know cash flow is always important. The nice thing is a royalty company, our GNA is you know very low. Uh, so we don't need a lot of cash flow to be uh, cash positive. Um, I like to take a portfolio approach personally. You know, when you're buying in and an asset's already producing cash flow, you know, you're paying seven, eight years cash flow. You're basically paying the net present value you'd expect uh, to get back for that royalty. It's just, you know, where pricing is. Um, you know, whereas if you buy an earlier stage, you know, and really the most value accretive. Uh, would be kind of right before economics come out and everybody knows how much money they're going to make. Um, but when you're going to get into that stage, you actually capture all that value, you know, where somebody else is going and putting in $80 million, um, you know, and advancing that asset forward. And as closer as it gets towards production, that's all value that, you know, you gain by doing it a little bit earlier stage. So we kind of take a little bit of a portfolio approach. You know, we want to get, uh, you know, increase our cash flow. You know, our target is to get really five to six producing royalties. So we can go get some debt and, you know, we don't have to loot anymore. Um, but at the same time, the, the deals that are really going to build the company, create all that value, you know, where we can see ourselves getting to, you know, 25 million in cash flow, um, you know, kind of five, six years out. Uh, that's where, you know, we're getting in a little bit earlier stage and trying to capture some of that value uh, through development. But do you think the Jingle market is getting it slightly wrong in terms of the, the, the valuations of the different royalties companies seem to be... Very little commonality in terms of the rationale. It, it, seem, it seems to me that there's, there's, there's companies that sort of lower uh, valuations, which have got better assets and, and, and revenue than, than others. And I, I kind of struggle to work out what I need to be focused on. So do you think the market sometimes just gets it wrong? And if, if it does, you know, what sort of problems does that cause you? Um, Cesar, if you want to pick up on that. Yeah, I'll quote the uh, famous Warren Buffett. He said, in the short term, the market is a voting machine. In the long term, it's a weighing machine. And I have a lot more respect for that coupled with uh, what I know now about liquidity. So when you have these times in the market where liquidity, liquidity is a premium and you have small companies like ours, you know, the three, three uh, panelists here, um, you take a hit. Even though you're adding value in the business, by buying another royalty that, that generates cash flow, buying one that is you know, a little further away, but has great prospects, the lack of liquidity um, gets a discount, even though you're make, making the business better. In the long-term, that should iron out. Um, and, and I think it behooves us as uh, smaller cap royalty companies to figure out a way to improve our liquidity. I th exactly, exactly, some, some M&A you know, some, some mergers to create scale, to give investors what they really deserve, which is the ability to buy and sell stock at will and uh, to not worry that one day when they want to go sell, the door's going to be shut and therefore they buy less than they would normally want to buy because of the lack of liquidity. And the royalty sector is, you know, one of the most um, active, I would say, in m and I mean, there was seven guys that existed on their own for, you know, a 10 year period because they already ate everybody up 10 years ago. And now you've seen this, uh, you know, uh, flurry of new companies coming into the space. I think it's only a matter of time before M&A really 
you know, starts to take off at some point here. I almost, I almost feel like that's a, you know, a good segue. Maybe I should have started with it on Elemental, but, um, <laughs> for, for viewers, we, um, we actually had a, um, unsolicited hostile bid that was formally launched in January on, on Elemental. And, um, it's, uh, it's sort of reaching the, um, conclusion of that bid timeline at the moment, um, as we're filming this. Um, and I think our view has always been, and, uh, we have, uh, we've said this publicly, our view has been consolidation makes sense, but also the markets, as Cesar said, are at times inefficient and, um, particularly in smaller, less liquid stocks. And so, um, you know, when, when Cesar used that famous Warren Buffett quote and said, it's, it's sometimes a weighing machine. Yeah. In the royalty space, sometimes it almost feels like the more royalties you have on the scales, you know, the greater mass you have. And, and that absolutely isn't true. You know, sometimes you get a, a tier one royalty on a tier one asset that can be worth more than 500 royalties, you know, spread out in 500 assets. And it really comes down to the asset itself and the quality. And one of the advantages of the royalty model is you've got this diversification we've talked about and you've got all this optionality and all these different projects. One of the challenges is investors misprice single asset companies all the time. And if you're in the mining sector, you see it. So, you know, how much harder is it to accurately price a company that has 30 royalties or 40 royalties and they're spread across different operators, different jurisdictions, different development stages? I mean, it's hard for us as royalty companies sometimes to keep up with where peers are and, you know, what's happening on their various projects. So if you're a private investor and you're coming home on a Wednesday night and reading a quick presentation on the company, I mean, you have to be pretty sharp to get a really good idea of value. And I think that's where, um, you know, I think M&A will happen, but I think it will be selective. And I think the three key criteria that we see um, in terms of value in a company um, are quality, you know, fundamentally, I don't want a royalty on your back garden because, you know, maybe there's some gold there. I want a royalty on an asset that we actually believe one day might come into production and, and pay us um, revenue. Um, the second one is, 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 is that point, revenue. You know, good quality assets and revenue. I think that's always prized. Um, you know, if you have cash flow, it, it gives you, especially with low cost companies that Brendan talked about, gives you uh, a lot of flexibility, it gives you capital to deploy. And then the third one, and, and this is where Cesar was, was talking, I think, and this, this segued into this, was scale. Um, you know, scale definitely helps. And with scale, you typically have margin expansion because if you go from two royalties to four royalties, you don't necessarily go from four employees to eight. And so you get the benefits of, of scale as you go. And so I think um, when you look at M&A, I would say look at the companies that, that have um, at least one or two of those attributes. You don't have to have scale. And maybe there's an argument that all three of us on this, on this panel today, we don't have the scale of some of the mid-tiers or the majors, but we tick some of the boxes in terms of quality or revenue that could be attractive, accretive, and could make sense for other companies to merge with. For, for the right bidder uh, at the right price. Um, and we, 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 news in? No, no. Um, we will know after this phone call, um, you know, the, the outcome. Perhaps you'll come back on and tell us all, tell us all about it, the, the ins and outs of what, what you've been through or, or going through. But I understand M&A is important. But some of the other interesting things you said there, um, Fred and Cesar as well, um, was that um, you, need, you need to be better 
at you know judging where where you place your capital because it's it's got to hit a certain set of uh, criteria. Um, otherwise, you just get this kind of amorphous mass of of investment, which may be valued all the same, whether it be positive or negatively. Um, they're all valued the same because no one can be bothered doing the work. Not the institutions, certainly not retail, because they don't necessarily have the skill set. So I've, I've got to ask, I've, I need to rely on the management team's credibility here. So why are you guys any better at working out what good looks like um, than the funds or the institutions who perhaps do ETFs, which you know, could yeah. be argued as a similar product, right? How do you, how would you answer that? Well, mine, mine might be a little bit easier of an answer than uh, uh, Cesar and Fred. Um, you know, just because we're really the only group out there focused on a lot of the metals that we chase. Um, you know, we're targeting nine clean energy metals. There's really only one private equity group out there that's focused on this space in the mining, uh, Pallinghurst. Um, you know, and so there's uh, we're picking up assets that are. Uh, just like our tin deal that we just announced, you know, that's the best tin asset really in North America. Um, you know, and so we, we picked that up. We didn't have any real competition. It, it was pretty cheap. It was about a hundred thousand uh, dollars cash, a million shares of electric royalties. So for us, it's a little bit different. You know, we're going out there. We've got royalties on the only manganese district in North America uh, being developed for the EV space. There's really only four of those developers globally. So it's a little bit of, uh, I think, a, di- a different beast for the clean energy metal space. Um, but it's fun. <laughs> I'll tell you that as a first mover uh, right now. Um, so we, we have a little bit of a, a benefit, I think, in terms of competition. And what, what do you say? I mean, it's a little bit different for you, Cesar, because you, you've come from an institutional background. You've got the, the Waterton uh, sort of running through your veins. So what, how, how, do you, how would you defend that position? Why, why shouldn't I, as an investor, just go and if, if re- royalties are too complicated to understand, why don't I just go and get an ETF or some, some vanilla type project where someone else is doing the heavy lifting? Why are you, why are you a better bet? I like Brandon's response. I wish I could say the same, but the precious metals royalty sector is, is very competitive. And we have an advantage in that um, Sailfish came from an operating company. It was spun out, kind of like Franco Nevada was spun out of uh, what used to be Newmont. You know, these are, and we have access to a team of operators who have a lot of experience in the Americas. You know, I'm bilingual. I, I speak English and Spanish and have um, been part of two mine builds in Mexico and in Nicaragua, both open pits, one a heap leach, one a mill. I'm also the, the uh, chairman of Fonterra, which is starting off with an open pit in the Abitibi, but we're going to transition to underground not just on the deposit where we have the open pit, but at a separate deposit. So we'll have two underground mines going at the same time with a mill. Um, so it, I think it, you have to look at the, the, the bio of the team. Uh, you know, Fred mentioned he was down in Australia working on an operating company. I think what you have in the royalty sector are guys that spent time on the operating side. They kind of woke up one day and said, you know, I, this is too hard. <laughs> Let me let me see what's over here with these guys who just uh, we send money to every month or quarter, and um, you know we know what good minds look like. We know what bad minds uh, look like, and uh, you know it's just it, it also partnering with the right operators. You know that is very clear. Who has a good track record? Who has you know the bona fides of of being an operator and 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 getting in bed with with them? I mean, I, I'm sort of interested in something you, you said there, up because um, it feels like the new kids on the block of royalties in terms of funding, um, you know, uh, juniors and, and sorry, explorers and developers. Um, 
I, I should remember back in so 2013, 14, 15, um, a lot of the kind of brokerages kind of moved out of town. The junior mining was hard to get funded. You guys, um, you know, became de rigueur. You became an, an option for some of these these companies. But as royalties have been around a little bit longer, as it's getting more competitive, do you think, uh, Fred, that the the types of deals, the deal structures, you know, the bells and whistles that you are constructing around the headline of royalty companies or streaming companies will change or have to evolve to be more competitive? And if so, what, you know, what could that look like? And, and when you say you mean the structure of the types of transactions, royalties, or streams? Yeah, like, like I, I mean, rather clearly, when I was in banking, I, was, I, I say these companies like money's money. You can call it what you label it however you want. It's the cost of that money that you care about, right? They just wanted money because they couldn't find it anywhere, and we were offering them capital with but conditional. Lots of conditions attached, right? Yes. And that document got thicker and thicker. You know, you know, by the by the end, it was it was like sort of these four five hundred page so, documents. So, what is anything going to change in your sector? Does it need to change? I mean, look for us. I suppose a recent example is all the all the assets we have bought today have been royalties, and um, they've been fairly. Um, dare I say it, vanilla royalties, straightforward, a 1% royalty, a 2% royalty. Um, you know, the last transaction we did on um, Rambler's um, main copper gold mine in Newfoundland in Canada um, that we did in, in um, fairly recently, uh, that was the first stream we wrote. And one of the benefits of that was we had a lot of flexibility in how we structured it to suit them. And this actually, I think, comes to your point perfectly because the reason the stream and the opportunity came about for us was they were refinancing um, and they were getting in a, a new lender and that lender needed first ranking security. And so we structured something that enabled the lender to give first to take that first ranking security, enabled them to take on that project financing that they needed on the operating asset. And we came in in a secondary secure position and we structured the stream so that it had a step down as it pays us. Um, it had secondary security to tick the box for their creditor. And it also had minimum deliveries in the first three years to protect us on the downside risk. And so we get future optionality to the whole mine, but it steps down and the better they produce and, and the more they produce, the faster it steps down. And it enabled them crucially to do, um, to take that credit facility, um, you know, um, in place and, and, and running in the way they did. So I think for all of those reasons, um, it was a transaction that made a lot of sense for us and, and made a lot of sense for them. Um, and I think that flexibility and that ability to construct something that suits both the royalty and streamer or the operator, um, you've already seen that come on an awful lot. Um, and it will be interesting to see if that continues to evolve. Um, but I think there's a lot of flexibility built in that you can do that. Yeah, I mean, so harks back to you know the days of structured finance in terms of you can write anything on a piece, any kind of agreement on a piece of paper. And I just wondered, to, for you guys to be more competitive and therefore, you know, um, not just protect your downside risk, but win transactions uh, was good for you, good for your shareholders in a highly competitive environment. Do you, you know, do you expect to see more of this sort of more structured and nuanced, um, you know? I think people exercise? usually win on price, to be yeah. honest with you. I don't think it necessarily comes down to the, uh, the fine details of the structure. You know, I think ultimately one guy's willing to bid more if there's, uh, you know, that kind of competition. Um, streaming versus royalties, I think that's a whole nother kind of discussion. You know, there's definitely some benefits of the streaming where you do have a, a security. You're basically 
obligating them uh, a certain timing of those payments they're going to make you. Uh, whereas royalty is, you know, really a bit more friendly for the operator. Um, but I get why groups do it. It also lets you lock in that revenue and, and forecast guidance. I'm sure that's uh, appealing to Fred as well. Um, but uh, I think you always have to adapt. I think every deal is different. Every situation is different. You know, the needs of the company, uh, when you're when you're getting in and, and jumping in to help them out, I think it all kind of is relevant on a, on a per deal basis. So what else have you got in your armory in terms of making it attractive to um, shareholders, Cesar? I mean, you, you've been issuing dividends recently. Yeah, that was um, round two of our uh, capital return program to shareholders. Round one was the NCIBs, you know, these share buybacks. We're on our third one. We've bought back over eight and a half million shares of our own stock. You know, we're doing everything we can. Um, I think that some investors would, would uh, say, instead of doing that, could you have bought something? And, uh, and grown your business that way. Um, you know, if, if the right deal came along, we recently were part of two uh, processes. One didn't, didn't start off as a process. The other one did from the very beginning. And we just can't get there on the price that, that our competitors are willing to pay. So, um, you know, but we're, we're out there, we're looking and we're, t- we're trying to grow the portfolio in a prudent way. Well, do you know who'd say that? The guy you quoted earlier, Mr. Buffett. <laughs> That's how you find it's all about timing. And, um, you know, there'll be a time when if we're still around, we'll, we'll do another deal. But for, for the time being, it's, it's very competitive. It's very competitive. And it must be very tempting to um, just go out and do a deal just to look busy. Right, Fred? Yeah, I think I think one thing that actually um, Brendan touched on and, and um, uh, just in his answer before and, and Cesar had you know, earlier on around consolidation is cost of capital. And the big royalty and streaming companies have an incredibly low cost of capital. Um, so you look at the credit facilities for some of them, it's, it's 1% plus libel, which in recent times has been 1.25%. And you can have a $500 million, billion dollar credit facility at less than 1.5%. I mean, that's less than Barrick, less than Newmont, less than Rio, less than BHP. It's less than you know, almost any other company you can think of. So that almost feeds into you know, the argument that Cesar was talking about earlier in terms of scale. Because if you are a lender and you're a bank, you're looking at it and you're saying, right, the royalty model's pretty low risk, but how low risk? And if you want to be 1% low risk, we want to know that this is covered not five times over, 10 times over. We want to know that this credit facility is covered 40 times over with 40 different assets in lots of different countries and different operators. And that is what scale can help you with. And so I think lowering that cost of capital, if you, if you take Brendan's view that ultimately price wins out and, um, you know, dollars talk, then, you know, you know, you get into this position where you can be competing with bigger companies with a lower cost of capital. And so it almost doesn't make sense to do that for the majority of the time because you just, you won't win. And so, again, it can come back to this conversation around size, scale, cost of capital, and, and it's a sort of virtuous circle. The bigger you are, you might have a lower cost of capital, and the lower cost of capital, the better able you are to, you know, accretively transact on opportunities. And so that's why that has been historically M&A in the royalty space. Um, it's why historically that has been, I think, generally speaking, um, it has been positive. Um, I think that's sort of you know, in answer to your question. 
I think you have to be, you have to kind of go where they aren't, you know, because uh, you're never going to beat them on a cost of capital basis. But on the flip side, as they grow bigger, they have to go after certain deal sizes, you know, because a $5 million deal, $2.5 million deal is not going to be accretive to them. It's not worth their time. So I think you just got to find, you know, go to those places where, uh, you know, they're not going to be going is typically my <laughs> my way of going about that. Uh, we've, we've also shied away from the commodities they, they you know, target as well. But, uh, um, you know, staying away from from competing with those guys, I think, is key processes. Uh, you know, we haven't participated in one of those in, you know, six, nine months now, I would say. We, we spent a lot of time on that in the first kind of year that we got out of the gate. And, you know, we saw portfolios go that uh, triple our value that I would not take, you know, over our portfolio. It's just crazy out there, um, you know, once those guys get their hands on it. But, but do you think the world's changed slightly? Because obviously, the, the Russia-Ukraine situation has, has changed things dramatically. Iran being a beneficiary of Russian sanctions because the world needs oil. And apparently, we're not, we're not going to be buying Russian oil or, or gas. So are there parts of the world that perhaps any of you were looking at, or sorry, wouldn't look at before, that you now would consider because the, the, the whole circulation of commodities uh, and, and supply chains has changed? Probably not. Uh, you know, we were we were already risk averse in terms of jurisdiction. Um, our business plan is to really find those deposits in North America, Australia, and Europe. Uh, there could be a domestic source of supply for those metals. I mean, there are countries, you know, a couple in Africa and you know here and there that we go. But uh, I think if anything, <laughs> you know, everything that's going on in the world has just kind of more affirmed that view, um, you know, rather than it driven us away from that. I mean, Caesar, Caesar you, you've had to deal with this. Obviously, you've, you've got an asset in, in Nicaragua, um, obviously now Signal Bank Advance. But the early days, that was tough. People cared about jurisdictional risk for, for royalty companies. So what's your take on the new world order as we see it? They care more now. However, the asset that we have in Nicaragua is more advanced. It's cash flowing. It's putting out uh, you know quarterly production numbers. So that mitigates it a bit. Um, but when you go into some a country like that and you're trying to build something, the risk of building plus the geopolitical risk are too much for most investors. So I think if uh, somebody wanted to diversify into second and third tier jurisdictions, they should do so only if they're in production or near production, because the penalty for taking something that's that far out of the money in one of those jurisdictions is quite severe. I mean, and uh, yeah, I, I, Fred, you, you've, you're generally West Africa, Chile, yeah. Mexico as well. So, but yeah. you, you've seen the same in Chile recently with political uh, ner- nervousness around political s- uh, status. So, what's your take on it all? So, I, I think um, broadly speaking, uh, we're probably uh, 60, 70% tier one in Australia and Canada, but we also have assets in um, Mexico, Chile, Burkina Faso, and Kenya. So we have quite a wide, um, quite a wide reach. And I think we've always been guided by the balance of, of sometimes in the less mature jurisdictions, there is greater exploration, optionality and upside. Um, you know, you're not looking at a brownfields deposit and mining a kilometer underground. You're in the open pit. You're in the first 10 years of its mine. And in 10 years time, they might be in the underground. But you're balancing that versus the fact that it is it might not have the same jurisdiction. Um, you know, I suppose uh, people tend to categorize countries at a high level into tier one, tier two, and tier three. And there's a lot of nuance into you know, not even the, the region, but the, the country and, and the, the province or the territory within that country. 
So it is it is a very, um, you know, you can get granular. Well, well the, the, I think it's a really important point you make. So I was literally going to ask you, well, everyone just broadly says, oh, tier one, we're tier one country, right? Canada, each province has its own peculiarities in the sense that some some provinces are slightly more difficult to get licenses and permits in than others. South America, like likewise. Oh, sorry, California is a great one. Some counties are easier than others, but people go, California, not good for mining. That's not necessarily true. But, wow. Right? <laughs> pretty tough. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't want to be trying to get permits down there. But uh, no, you, you do have to, you know, within uh, North America, you know, especially and within Europe. I mean, each country uh, in Europe is obviously different, but provinces are, are widely different as well. Um, you know, we like Quebec quite a bit. They're very favorable to mining over there. Um, then you get into BC and it's, you know, uh, there's a big, uh, you know, load of projects that have been trying to get permitted for a long time and, and face some some pretty steep hurdles. Uh, obviously, you know, First Nations and, and some of those issues as well. So, yeah, you have to look, you know, within uh, Canada and the U.S. I mean, not every province is equal. You know, places like Nevada definitely have a you know, clear edge over some other uh, uh, you know, uh, nation, uh, states down there. So, yeah, it's, it's different. It's, it's not uh, so easy. You can't blanket code it. Uh, uh, you know, as much. And you have to remember too, uh, mining is very much infrastructure related as well, right? So, you know, even within a, a province, you know, the different regions in that uh, province are going to make a big impact, you know, in terms of the viability of a, a project moving forward. Okay. And I'm going to, I'm going to finish, finish with this one, guys. All right. Okay. And this, this is around what, what we, the investors need to be thinking about. So I, I, I kind of appreciated today's conversation. It's helped me think, think about royalty slightly differently. Um, but, in the current economic climate, people seem to be hoarding cash. They've 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 been hammered in tech. They've come and had a look at mining. Not quite sure where to place their bets. So they're just sitting on cash for now. It seems even the draw and the lure of of, of crypto and Bitcoin aren't, aren't enough to you know make them um, move. So, given this environment of uh, hoarding cash, if you're lucky enough to have cash, or less disposable income because we're worried about energy costs, food costs, and all the things that governments are doing to sort of, you know, tax us on. Why are royalties a better investment um, into the mining space than any other product, whether it be equities or ETFs or, or, or otherwise? I'm going to, Cesar, I'll start with you. Yeah, I'll regurgitate some of the qualities summarize. of sailfish. Summarize. <laughs> Yeah, summarize, better word. Some of the qualities of Sailfish to make it a good investment vehicle, which are also in other royalty companies. Maybe not all of them together, but some have this, others have that. But um, no debt. Uh, there are a few royalty companies that, that do have debt. Most of them are relatively under leveraged. Um, you know, we pay out a dividend, a, a very healthy one. And that's the trend. You're seeing more royalty companies doing that. So that provides um, some added benefit to a portfolio. Uh, very low operating costs, you know, especially at Sailfish from, from day one, we created it as a company that was going to be very shareholder friendly, which means, um, you know, myself and my the co-founder Akiva, we got paid in shares. Uh, it's a form of compensation, but it doesn't drag on the cash flows. It allows us to buy back shares, to pay a dividend. So those two things, you know, return of capital to shareholders, and I've seen other royalty companies uh, recently put in place NCIBs. Um, and I think, but the big one is, you know, the um, we're not exposed to the inflationary pressures that the operating companies are. Um, and also the um, volatility in the markets presents opportunities for us. You know, we, we are an alternative to equity and debt financing. 
So if the equity and debt markets clamp up, we can you know get some deals done. So I, that's how I would summarize it. Fred, can you build on that? So look, for me, if you're talking specifically about this environment, um, and I think a lot of what Cesar said holds true in the, in the benefits of, of some of the benefits of the royalty model and companies, but I think specifically this environment, you know, I'm worried about inflation. And I think that if I am investing in gold, uh, partly as an inflation hedge, then actually the best way to do that is to invest in a royalty company that has exposure to gold because you're getting that double protection. You're getting you know, the exposure to gold and you're getting the protection from the inflation and costs that all the other gold miners are going to have. So I think that's a really core point. I think in, in terms of, um, in terms of you know, Elemental specifically as a royalty company, um, if I was going to say you know, this is going to be another record year for us in terms of revenue, that means increasing margins, increasing cash flows. I don't think it's any accident that we attracted a, a hostile takeover offer. Um, I think that speaks to the fact that our portfolio has really unique characteristics that make it attractive. Um, I think we're a team that set this up from the beginning. I put $20,000 in um, to start this company and uh, with Richard Evans and uh, one of my partners. And um, we've built it all the way up from, I think, $400,000 revenue to, to 10 to 12 million forecast for this year. So, you know, we have really built it from the ground up, but we have always had that laser sharp focus on diversified revenue base from the outset, protect the downside. And if we can protect the downside, we all know there is plenty of upside and optionality in the mining industry. But if you can get that blend of downside protection with the upside, then you're in a really good place. And I think a, a precious metals royalty company is a good way to do that, even more so today. Okay, Brian, I'm going to let you have the last word. Take, take us out with a song. Yeah, sure. Now, look, I think we're all risk averse, all of us up here uh, from the sounds of it. You know, we all decided to get into royalties because we are defensive. We do want to reduce our downside. I think ultimately, you know, in an inflationary environment, there couldn't be a better uh, play than a royalty company that's in the metal space. You know, whether it's clean energy metals or uh, precious metals, these are, you know, very rare deposits on earth. We can't print more of it. Um, you know, and so when the rest of the world keeps printing money, uh, those deposits are going to be worth more and your money is going to be worth less. So, you know, just taking cash home and, and seeing the purchasing power erode, you know, seven to 10% over the next year, um, I don't think makes much sense when you can look at investing in, say, a royalty company like ours. Uh, lithium prices are up 400%. We're about half our portfolios lithium. We're expecting four times the revenue from lithium now uh, over the course of one year than we did last year. And so, you know, I think there's definitely a, a much more accretive growth profile there, uh, which is also very defensive, um, you know, and, uh, you know, to, to Fred's point, reduced risk. You know, we're all about uh, limiting the downside risk. Uh, and so definitely in a defensive environment like this, where you want to store your money and, and make sure it's safe, uh, royalty company would be a, a classic way to go. Okay, so I'm getting at don't don't think of royalty companies like a mining equity play. You guys have got a whole bunch of different attributes. Got it. Guys, appreciate your time today. That's been really useful for me and hopefully everyone watching this as well. If there's any questions come through, we'll we'll uh, send them over here, over to you and you maybe can get back to people. Thanks very much. Thank you, Roger.